Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. Today is a really special episode because it is a double whammy, two interviews in one episode. Mind blown, I know. So here is the breakdown. I get to interview two different amazing artists, an actor and a visual artist, both people in my community, and I wanted to talk to them about the theme of creativity. How do we tap into creative energy? What is it? How do we know when we're in it? How do we get to play with it? How do we add more creativity into our lives? Within the membership community of Centered in the City, we've been exploring how to tap into creativity through different holistic practices, whether it's cooking, movement, journaling, meditation. There's so many ways that we can harness this creative energy and to know what it is we're harnessing, I wanted to speak to some creative experts. Let me just say from personal experience of exploring creativity this month, I have noticed how much more joy and lightness there is and creativity feels like I'm claiming back my right as a human being, my right as a human to express, to make, to use my hands, to see color, to blend things that I might not have done before, to try something new. Like, So it's been this really cool exploration for me and I know you will leave this podcast episode with some more curiosity around your own personal creative energy and also maybe some inspiration and maybe even permission to be and explore creativity in your own way. So let's settle in and let's get centered. My first guest is Amy Blackman, who is an actor and happens to also be one of my longest time friends from high school and college. A little bit about Amy is she played the title role in The Daughter-in-Law by D.H. Lawrence at the Mint Theater. She also has appearances on HBO's The Deuce, NBC's New Amsterdam, CBS's Madam Security, and much more. Let's settle into this conversation as we explore creativity. Amy, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. Tell us about your favorite 
daily or daily-ish practice that you do for yourself that helps you feel centered? Ooh, ooh. I feel like, I feel, I feel you're a very good friend. So I feel like uh, nervous talking to you about this because you're so good at this. Um, uh, the thing that I mostly do daily and maybe sometimes not always daily because it's fucking hard to uh, commit sometimes. But when I am on my mark, um, I write pages in the morning when I uh, get up. Uh, I try to do that straight away and just free write. And um, it's uh, generally a bunch of nonsense, but sometimes it lands somewhere and gets a bunch of stuff out of my brain. Tell us a little bit more about what pages are for those that don't know. Yeah, there's a um, there's this book called The Artist's Way, which I will fully admit I have not gone all the way through. I know so many actors that are like, I've started it and then I didn't finish and then I started it again. And, and some people have, so kudos to them. Uh, but one of the things from the, the book is um, the suggestion of doing morning pages, which basically you get up and uh, first thing you free write uh, about three pages. And uh, the idea is just to just do it nonstop. So you're not editing yourself. You're not thinking about stuff that you're putting on the page. And even if it's like, blah, 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 I'm tired, I'm hungry, I want coffee. I want these pages to be done. You're just, you, you write through all of that stuff. Not like that's in any of my pages, um, but um, <laughs> So you kind of, you, you just keep going and um, uh, it's, I, I'm sure it's different for everyone, but by kind of like, I'm really annoyed on page two and then by page three, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so it kind of, um, I don't know, it gets, for me, it gets a lot of crap out of my brain and I find it really useful. It's kind of, I think, similar to a meditation. Um, you just have to kind of stick with it and I'm sure uh, you can check out the artist's way if you want to learn more about it, because um, I'm sure that has much more detail than me. Yeah, the artist's way, I, I think, is a great resource for people who need and want some more writing structure. And mm -hmm. I love that the three pages is a container. Yeah, it's like, you know, you got to get to the three pages and I love what you shared of like in the beginning, it might just be like, I'm sitting here and it's raining outside and my coffee's yummy. And, and then you recognize like the kind of flow, the ebb and flow of our thoughts, the ebb and flow of the emotions. And you said at the end of your third page, you're like, oh, you typically feel better. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes I'm like annoyed too, you know, um, mm -hmm. I find it helpful and um, I definitely feel a, a, just a little more centered so we're talking about creativity today and I'm curious how does even staying semi-committed or pretty committed to the to pages and, and journaling support your creativity? Well, I think, uh, I guess coming at it from the, the, the sense of, of, of mostly being an actor in terms of creativity, there are a lot of different like stages of uh, there are a lot of different like versions of being an actor, like when you're working, when you're not working, when you're auditioning, when you're prepping for something, when you've finished something, there's, uh, there's a lot of, you're in flux a lot of time. You have to be uh, incredibly flexible, uh, having something that uh, just kind of sets you up and, and gets a bu bunch of crap out of your head um, is, is really helpful 
to uh, creatively being open um, for in whatever moment you're kind of in, in kind of that journey. And um, I think it's supportive to have things of stability uh, when uh, creatively you're, especially, you know, I'm in a career that isn't necessarily stable. So that's really helpful. How it's just kind of a symbolism of life, of like life isn't stable, no, whether our career stable. our careers are yeah. or not. Um, yeah, there's a reason that acting is uh, pretending to be people, like, <laughs> but it's actually just humans in real life. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about your creative process. Like, what is creativity to you? Like, when when do you notice you're you're tapping into creativity? Yeah, I think um, it's tough because I think creativity, uh, in terms of my work and when, and when I and when I feel it in that way, uh, there are kind of two parts to it, which are actually, in some ways, you feel like they contradict each other and it's a balance, but they actually are part of the same thing. And um, the first part is uh, a commitment, a work ethic. Um, a, a real commitment to skill and um, to what what you're practicing and what you're doing and that's kind of like showing up on a daily basis and um, it's it's I imagine for like a violin player or a piano player it's like practicing the scales like doing or a singer um, so there's kind of a skill based level in that that requires a real attention to detail and and persistence. Um, and then on the other side of creativity, there is um, a need for spontaneity. There's a need for openness and play. And uh, that involves actually being able to let go of all of those things that you've practiced for your whole life and learned about. And um, uh, so, but both of those things when they're both at their peak at the same time, it's like, that's, that's like peak creativity because you want to be working both of them. Right. So, and they actually do feed each other and support each other. So it's like one day when you're like, well, I'm not really feeling this, but I have the skill that I can do this and I can show up creatively. Uh, and then there are some days when it just, you know, stuff flows out of you and it's fucking great, but not every day is like that. So um, to have both of those things, they support each other, and um, I think they really enable being to show up, however you're feeling. I love the juxtaposition that you broke down there with creativity. So there's this skill building, the sense of commitment to the craft. Like I am, yeah. I'm strengthening this creative, practical muscle, and then yeah. there's this other side of the coin that's like, I get to be spontaneous open it sounds like trusting in the moment play yep bark that happens on the other side yeah that's exactly right so you know it makes logical sense that you know okay commitment structure stay connected to whatever your craft is so as an actor like what do you do to strengthen that muscle yeah um i have a practice group so um what what really helps with that is commitment and accountability. I'm really lucky that I have a, there's a group of actors and uh, we meet weekly and I, uh, I practice picking up a script at least, I mean, hopefully more than, but at least once a week and turning it around and doing it. And, 
And that kind of practice stability is there for um, no matter if I'm working or if I'm not working or if I have a ton of auditions or if I don't have a ton of auditions, I am still committed to practicing the skills and the work and, and dealing with, you know, picking up a script, analyzing it, uh, translating that to putting it uh, specifically on camera and and then watching and learning from it and being like oh I fucked up there or oh this could have been a bit better and um and and really committing to doing that for uh you know years and years and years I mean this is where like right the 10,000 hour thing comes in um so uh that's kind of, that's what I, that's part of my practice that I do. Uh, and I'm incredibly grateful for it. And I think what helps it incredibly is that I have found, and I'm sure a lot of artists um, find their own community where they can have that accountability. And then it, it, it becomes fun and it becomes not just about you, but it comes, becomes about showing up for other people as well. And the 10,000 hours, just so people listening know what that means. It's like, is that belief that like you need 10,000 hours to become like a master of your craft essentially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. That's how you strengthen that muscle. Then how do you practice strengthening the play spontaneity spark muscle? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That one's harder. Um, I I think something you said earlier about trust is, uh, you know, there's something about like the two help strengthen each other. And so you put in the time and the work and it then, uh, ideally makes it easier to get better at the letting go part because, you know, eventually we're, we're playing make-believe. We're just pretending to be humans and, um, uh, you know, we don't want to see all these skills and it's it's not about tricks and you know of that stuff so uh it's really it's a daily that's a daily uh a daily practice and sometimes you're good at it sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't um I think uh one thing that um a mentor of mine kind of uh always says is that uh you know, you only have to believe in yourself for however long the scene is or however long you're working. So it's like, you can beat yourself up before, you can beat yourself up afterwards, but how about just for like the two minutes that you're shooting, you're just like, no, I believe in myself and 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 can kind of let go and um, and be present to listen, right? To what is actually happening in front of you, um, which is, I think a lot of what we, try and and strive to do in life but you know sometimes we get distracted what you're sharing reminds me of what i've been practicing and continue to practice when i speak engagements and facilitation it's like trusting myself and building that sense of inner confidence that i have the skills that i have the knowledge that i have the know-how and then when it's showtime so to speak right. that it just flows and then it comes from my like heart and authenticity and not from my head being like, am I hitting all of my lines perfectly? Did I time that correctly? Yeah. And, and if I get in my head too much, I totally lose disconnection from yeah. what's actually happening in the group that I'm facilitating. 
Yeah. And you can't respond to the moment, right? You can't, if you're, if you're kind of in your head about like, oh, did I do this right? Or how did this land? Then you can't actually see if you're talking to people, how they're responding and then react to them. And um, I think one of the biggest lessons that I have learned in terms of creativity over the years is that uh, mistakes are wonderful things, right? So if you're, if you're kind of, uh, if you're speaking to a crowd and and you kind of go off topic or you veer into a place that maybe you weren't thinking about doing or someone responds in a certain way, uh, that's going to be way more interesting probably than anything that you could have planned if you were kind of trying to stick exactly to whatever script that is in front of you. And, and it, it's hard to trust that. It kind of sounds like perfectionism is a killer of creativity. Yeah, 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 it is. But also at the same time, you do need, you know, if if you're just, it's like the work that you do. It's like if you show up and you have no preparation, then you can't let go and kind of fly and see what happens. So, so, so you do need a level of, of commitment, um, and I think uh, sometimes it, there's a there's a, a difficult line between what is the level of um, really doing the work that I want to do and committing uh, that and potentially veering over into perfectionism, which is definitely very real. Let's talk about you mentioned this of what your mentor said of like you can be beat yourself up beforehand and beat yourself after it, but when when you're shooting, like let it go. Yeah. I noticed that for me personally, like I had a really hard time saying I was a creative person because I don't paint, I don't act, I don't sing, I don't play an instrument, I don't dance like professionally. Like I was like, so I've what? Your dance. Well, good. you know, I can I can shake my booty, <laughs> but like I've got moves, but I'm yeah. not like a trained ballerina. Um, I'm curious how we label ourselves as a creative person or not. And when I let go of feeling like I had to label myself, like, because I don't do this, I can't be a creative person. And once I could let that go and realize like, actually my creativity shines in the kitchen or like my creativity mm -hmm. shines in how, how I like plan or organize shit, you know, or host like yeah. those, those are ways of expression that I've been able to claim back and be like, oh, that's my expression of creativity. And it helps give me a sense of empowerment. However, I noticed that the mind can be very critical and judgmental of like, am I being creative enough? Like when I'm practicing like watercolors, I'm like, this is shit, Wade, you look like you're a three-year-old, you know, painting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, how do you practice being with that critical mind when you're in a creative process? I think it's, it, it, you're definitely right. It's always there. Um, and I, I think what's helpful is that sometimes, sometimes kind of that inner critic in you uh, is maybe telling you something that is helpful. I mean, you know, is, is maybe, is maybe constructively, maybe there's something to uh, take from it. I think it's, it's helpful to kind of take a look at what, whatever kind of criticism you're saying. And it's like, oh, is this actually something uh, constructive or actionable that I, I want to shift in how I'm looking at my work or what I'm doing? Um, and then the other side of it is that then there's other stuff that is just like, and it tends to be right, like the broad 
uh, big general statements of like, this isn't creative enough, which is like, what the fuck does that mean, right? Um, that is, um, it's noise and and everyone, I think it helps knowing that everyone feels the same way, that everyone has it. Um, and um, it is, it's part of the process. And, and what I've kind of learned as I've kind of uh, like had over the years of, of being in a creative process, if it's, you know, if I'm doing a play and I'm like, okay, so we have the first read through and then we have you know, a couple of weeks of rehearsal. And then we do this thing called the designer run where everybody that is uh, lighting or costuming, uh, working on the show comes to see the show before we go into tech where we are putting the show on its feet in the theater with lights, costumes, sound, everything. And then we kind of go into a preview process and then we go into opening and then we go into post opening and then we go into closing. So there's this whole journey that happens and you kind of start to, as you kind of uh, are lucky enough to do that a bunch of times, you start to notice when certain thoughts start to come up during the process. So, you know, in uh, like, we first start rehearsal and it's like, oh, everything feels so fresh and new and I'm having all these impulses and oh, it's fantastic. Like I'm doing the best work ever. And then like, you know, a couple of weeks go by and you're like, oh, this is terrible. You know, because you're just, you're kind of stuck in the thick of it. You're stuck in the mud and the designer run through comes and, and uh, everybody's focusing on their own thing. So no one's reacting and you're like, is this the worst thing? It's always like, is this the worst thing that has ever existed? And, and then you pull everything apart in tech and you put it all back together and previews you're doubting and questioning and opening I find is just, uh, horrible and you know which is funny because I think a lot of people have these expectations of like an opening night it's so exciting and I'm like no no, no I want to get past it and get to the get to the run get to the work like get to the flow um get past the noise but you learn um where those thoughts come up and you learn the time periods in the creative process and so uh uh you know I've when I was last doing a play, when it came up, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's week three. Oh, this always happens on week three. Okay, cool. I'm in, I, I'm in the normal place, you know, so that you can actually understand that um, it is, it's part of the process. And, and frankly, if everything felt good and flowy and creative all the time, I mean, what would that, I don't even know what that would look like. Um, so I guess time uh, has really helped and kind of uh, starting to notice a when and how those things come up within the process has really helped. Uh, you get to know yourself and you get to know when those things come up. Yeah, it sounds like you've been, not only have years of experience, so you have a lot of data to play with, but you've been able to normalize it and you, also have the ability to have awareness, like self-awareness of, yeah. oh yeah, this voice is coming up again. And oh, that makes sense because it's week three of this process. And so yeah. it kind of helps contextualize it. And it sounds like you've been able to get some distance from it. So that doesn't gobble you whole. Right. You know that it's, it, you kind of start to know that, well, well, I felt like I was doing really shitty work today, but you know, there's tomorrow. So um, you, you, you know that it will pass and that I think 
you know, the, the big thing about creativity is that um, it's, I, I think the same is, is true for a singer or a painter or a dancer or in the kitchen or, you know, any of those things, you know, even if you're, let's talk about weight in the kitchen, even if you're cooking the same meal, it's not going to be exactly the same as the last time you cooked it. It's not going to, you know, there's a, there's a, nothing is ever the same. And, and, and basically, I think where we screw ourselves as artists is when we try to replicate what we have already done. And that's when we are not in the moment, we're not responding to actually what's in front of us. And we're like, oh, the last time I did this, it was really good and someone laughed. So I'm gonna try and do it the exact same way. But then you're actually not doing what you did, which was being in the moment and responding. And so it like falls flat and you're like, well, now I feel completely mortified. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So you're tapping into yeah. like a, a real essence of creativity is the sense of authentic presence. It's like really being connected to what is because if I got so attached to roasting the broccoli the exact same way I did it yesterday, and it doesn't come out the exact same way yeah. today, then yeah. there's kind of like that, oh, fuck moment. And exactly. Um, versus being attuned to like, oh, maybe this broccoli is shaped differently than yesterday's <laughs> broccoli. And so maybe how I cut it needs to be different. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I don't know, like your spices that you're using or it's, it's different, you know, it's just all whatever it is. And, and, you know, I don't know, you heat the oven is slightly fucking different. And, and that's all like, it's like, you know, or your palate is just different, like how you're tasting things. It's like, you know, uh, when you're doing live theater, you have a different audience in front of you every night. So you don't know how they're going to respond. And, and as actors, we love to like, so, you know, so many actors are like, oh, great audience tonight. Or like, oh, oof, really rough out there tonight. And it's, and, and I totally get it. But also at the same time, they're just different groups of people who are responding in different ways. And so it's really tough when like we set up our expectations, like, oh, this, these, this is where they laugh or this is where they clap or this is where they, you know, do this. And then, you know, they don't always do that. So uh, it, it's kind of have like letting go and, and just being present and doing the thing and knowing that it's going to be different, which is actually the goal. Yeah, and it sounds like creativity then really is coming from like the inside out. It's not like whether somebody applauded or not, right? Mm -hmm. It's like not a based on how the outside is responding. Yeah. It's the sense of like inner magic that gets to be shared outwards. Yeah, I think it's, I, I kind of think about what you're saying in terms of like, it's not about the result. And when it becomes about the result, uh, you're really fucked. Sorry, excuse my language. But yeah, you are. And as opposed to like, kind of like, you know, being on, uh, kind of figuring out the problem or figuring out what's in front of you, um, you know, it's just far more interesting than um, uh, having decided what something looks like already and and wanting it to uh, result in you know, applause or a job or uh, a great review or, you know, any of those things. And it's, that stuff is, yeah, it all just gets in the way. Oh my God. Tell me about it. Yes. The attachment to the result, the outcome can get us tripped up, you know, yeah. and how 
can we put our weight, like put the weight of it back just on ourselves and how we're being and showing up in the moment? Because that's all we can control. Yeah. And, 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 and how we're showing up for other people too. I think it, it helps me a lot too. What's great about when you're working or, or on set or doing a play is that you uh, have other human beings in front of you that you're working with and responding to. And um, if it can be about showing up for them and working and, and kind of creating that world and community, that's what's so much fun. I love it. Amy, thank you for being here and sharing your insights and wisdom with us. Thanks where, for me. Yeah, where can people learn more about you and stay connected? Oh my gosh, I am on Instagram. It's mainly just like photos of my dog and plays and things that I do. I do have a website that you can check out. It's amyblackman.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I want to pause and take a moment to acknowledge how fun this is to be able to speak to one of my closest friends and then up next to speak to my cousin around this theme of creativity because how often are we talking about creativity with our friends, family, community members? I know I'm not and this has so inspired me to think about creative energy and how am I tapping into it? How am I harnessing it? How am I playing with it? In both of these interviews and discussions, Amy and Sabrina highlight how we have to get rid of our attachment to the outcome. And I think that flexing our creative muscles in little ways throughout the day and through our practices can help us integrate that into our life more to let go of the outcome. They also both emphasize the importance of community being in community with people who have similar interests or connections or expressions of creativity and how being in community helps hold the container for our practices. In a world where we're very isolated and individualistic, I'm inspired to explore how can I be in community with others in more of a creative lens. So that's a question that I'm excited to sit with. In my next conversation, I get to speak with my cousin, Sabrina Geschwantner, who is an amazing visual artist. Sabrina's art is exhibited internationally. She has permanent collections at the Smithsonian Art Museum, Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, LACMA, RISD, and so many other museums and institutions. You can check out her full bio in the show notes. I was really inspired how Sabrina defined creativity and highlights how art can be an opportunity for self-discovery. So let's settle in and let's get centered. Sabrina, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Hi, Wade. Thanks for having me. What's your favorite, or maybe it's not even a favorite, but what's a consistent practice that you do on a daily basis, something that supports you coming back to your center? I hike. Ooh, tell us more. Well, I live in Los Angeles near Griffith Park, and that's my favorite place to hike. But sometimes um, I hike in Elysian Park which is near my studio. And occasionally I'll drive a little bit further out to Altadena. Um, and I, I love hiking in those mountains. Even if I just do a short hike for me, short is like 
30, 40 minutes up to the, from the base of um, Griffith Park up to the observatory. That's my favorite short hike to do. I find that it really, I, I like to hike in the morning. So it, it just clears my mind. I love being connected to nature. I love seeing the city in the distance, in the distance, in the parks and the way the light changes every day. My, my longer hikes are like three hours, so I can't do those every morning. Um, I usually do those on the weekends. I love the watching the morning light shift as well. There's something so peaceful about it. I'm curious, what about your morning hikes when you can fit them in evokes creativity for you? Well, I think for me, the most elegant, simple way to think about creativity is connection. I think creativity can help rewire the way we experience the world. And there's a similar feeling I get when I'm hiking, where I might start out the hike thinking, my body's not ready for this, or I'm stuck in a mental loop on some problem. And then as I start moving and making my way through a, a path, I find things start to loosen up and I sort of lose a tight grip that I have in my mind or in my body on how I've predicted things are going to go or how I anticipate things might go. And I'm just in the moment. And I think that creativity gives us a different sense of time. Like when you're in the flow, when you're making something and you're just totally in the flow of it, you really lose all sense of, of time. And when we, for me, I have that when I'm hiking, I just, I'm just in the experience. And I think creativity and art can do that for us too. Like when we're listening to a piece of music or we're transported to another time and place when we watch a movie, that creativity can help transport us out of our, our day-to-day moment-to-moment existence. I love everything that you just shared there around creativity rewires the way that we experience the world. We lose a sense of time. I think those are all really powerful ways to think about creativity. I'm curious, when you sit down to focus on your art, is there something that you do to support you getting into more of a creative flow state? Like how do you, even like on a broader question, like how do you connect to creativity and your art? Like, do they feel the same, separate, intertwined? Okay. I hear two questions. I hear yes, the question. I, I, I double stacked you. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to address the first question. How do I access creativity when I'm working? So I'm a full-time visual artist. I have been at this for more than 20 years. And I think because it's my job and has been my job for so long, I don't really think about how to access it anymore. I just have these learned skills um, that I draw from if I'm feeling stuck. So usually, you know, I get up, I hike, I drop my son off at the bus or at school, I go to my studio and I just get started on one of my projects and I have various projects going all at the same time. Um, but if I feel like I am stuck or need to make a shift, one of the things that I do is I I kind of play around with my materials. Um, I've always loved working directly with color and texture with my hands. 
um, there's something about like the interplay of color and texture and pattern and just that I enjoy just playing around with. And I, I bring um, just a real sense of trust in my intuition for how to put all these things together in a way that fits the criteria that I've set forth in the project. Usually that has some, some aesthetic meaning and aesthetic pleasure often, um, but also I'm also thinking about the content of what I'm making. So the two have to come together for me. Um, so number one, there's a sense of like just trusting intuition and playing. And the other thing that I draw on when I'm stuck is actually the opposite. <laughs> so one, you have like intuition and freedom and creativity, flow, playing, right? And that's just open-ended and you're just falling into this trust with it. And conversely, there's like, you need a sense of discipline around doing that because like anything, half of it is just showing up, right? So you have to go in there and show up and then you have to like throw your intuition into it. But the other thing about that helps me is actually a constraint. <laughs> so the constraint can be a deadline. Deadlines are so helpful mm -hmm. because when I have a deadline, I have to make decisions really quickly, usually it's a tight deadline. Otherwise, you know, I, I once worked on a project for like four years and I'm not sure that taking all that time was good for me. The other constraint that can be helpful is a budget, you know, like where certain things just aren't possible financially speaking, you know, within a certain budget. So you're like, you have to make decisions and move forward based on these kinds of constraints, deadline, budget, et cetera. It really helps to actually work within parameters and then to have a gener generous amount of like just sort of permissiveness within those parameters. And I think there have been times where maybe when I was younger, more starting out, where I felt like I needed to draw inspiration from other artists' work. And I think that's completely fair game. You know, I think, you know, being inspired by painting or film or poem or song, I mean, you, this is all, if, if that helps you access your own creativity, or it helps you chart where you want to go, like it help, it really helps to think about the things that you like, the things that you're drawn to, and why you're drawn to them to sort of like chart an area that you want to explore and looking at other people's work across time is really helpful for that. Circling back to this juxtaposition of both flow, there to be space, permission to play, flow in creativity, but also the sense of like structure. There needs to be some sort of guardrails to kind of allow the energy to, to flow in a directed space and place meaning having deadlines or, or having like budget constraints or time to hold that container. I think that's really interesting to think about because I think with, when I think about creativity, sometimes I'm like, it's just this like explosion of like, la, 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 you know, like, and it's just like, let's throw some paint or in my case, like let's throw some colored vegetables on a tray or whatever it might be. But to really think about how structure helps us with creativity, I think is important. I'm curious when you're creating, I mean, yes, this is, this is your job. This mm -hmm. is something that you, that you do, that you're trained in, that you teach in. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, does the critical voice come up when you're being creative? Because I feel like with somebody who's a newbie, when I'm thinking about being creative, 
let's say with a new medium like watercolors or doing something in the kitchen for the first time, mm-hmm. the critical voice is always like shutting down. I'm not being creative enough mm-hmm. or like this isn't creative or mm-hmm. so I'm curious, like, do you experience any of that? And if so, like, how do you be with that or, or help when you used to teach like students talk about that? Yeah. I think that there are a lot of ways in which our culture has taught us to believe that um, machines and algorithms know better than we do. And it can be really, really hard to let go of wanting a project to be perfect. You know, like we all know the term Pinterest fail, you know, and it's such a shame. It's it's so sad. I, I'm not sure how we've all been convinced that we should renounce our agency as creators. Mm. Oof, that is powerful right there. <laughs> yeah, because I think that's like kind of when you say that, it's like taking our soul out of ourselves. And I think, well, I just think it's our, you know, it's our capitalist culture that is telling us here, you have problems, here are the problems, and we're selling you the solutions. And what's liberating about art is it puts you in a place of discovery, self-discovery, liberation, and just acknowledgement that you have senses, you have awareness. And if you pay attention to the deepest, quietest voice inside, and you follow and you look for what you don't know about yourself and the world, that this can be very, very, a very powerful guide. In order to do that, you have to really reject that you're going to achieve a fixed specific outcome. You have to, if you're following your intuition, it's going to come with a certain amount of risk that you have to really embrace. And that's part of the creative process. So I think that And I think that that trust in the creative process and your own um, inner sense of what, of trusting the, the journey that you're going on is the best way to tap into your creativity. And I think back to this idea of structure, sometimes that just takes practice. Like I, you know, I grew up with a mother who was a painter and a grandmother who was a painter. I was just around art all the time. As a child, I went to museums constantly. It was just part of my family makeup. So it, there got to be a certain point where I just felt I could trust that I, that I had an, amassed a certain amount of exposure to art and had a certain amount of familiarity with looking at it and understanding it and talking about it, reading about it. And once I amassed all of that, then that helped me trust what I was doing. So I think if someone, if you're asking how to, you know, shut down the inner critic, um, it's sort of multi-pronged. It can be like more exposure to things that help you tap into your creativity, if that's looking at visual art, if it's baking or knitting or listening to music, whatever that is. I think it's really helpful to be around other people who are doing what you're doing. So if you have a knitting circle, or if you like bake with other people or you get together with other people to play music or just go to shows or whatever that is, community is really helpful. Or even if that's listening to podcasts of 
you know, first person accounts of people who are creative or making things, any, you know, anything that helps you tap into a sense of community, that's really helpful. So exposure one, community two, and then just, just practice, right? Like just practice, just making things like over and over again, whatever that means, if it's a hobby or if it's your profession or somewhere in between, just the dedication to it that helps you release the critic, I think, just having more practice. I love those tips. Something you shared around hobby was is very interesting to me because I think in our busy, full worlds, like people have lost hobbies. And I would say also like social media has sucked mm-hmm. those moments mm-hmm. of wind down, <laughs> you know, away mm-hmm. where people realize that and think that they don't have enough time, but it's just, Mm -hmm. they're wasting their time in social media. We can forget our creative, natural states as humans, as you were saying, like, cause it gets like sucked out of us because of technology and capitalism. Mm -hmm. How can we find creative moments in our day? You know, like how do we get to tap back into these energies or even claim back like hobby space? And what that does for our sense of well-being, that as humans, like we are naturally creative. And I think that totally does get stripped away in how we're conditioned in our culture. I, I agree. I agree with all those things. Um, it really wasn't until maybe, I think, eight years ago that I started to have hobbies. And I'm in my mid-40s. So I, I feel like I went through a period where my hobbies started to become my profession. And um, that's great. But it really is helpful. Like now I play tennis and I play tennis with a coach and I play tennis with my family and I play tennis with friends and it's so fun. And I like how social it can be as a sport. And it's just really nice to have something that is low stakes. And I try to keep it low stakes because, you know, I can, I, I see myself especially I did a tournament this, this year, a very low, low stakes a tennis tournament, tournament? <laughs> very low stakes. Oh, go cut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, um, I, you know, I started, I started getting up at six in the morning to practice and I was playing five times a week and I was like, wait a minute, this isn't that fun. Um, I'm, I'm, I got really competitive and, uh, I had to really pull myself back because, it was just, it started to feel punitive, this like desire to win. And I thought, wait, this isn't why I'm in this. I'm in this for the fun and the exercise. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get better, but like, why am I like pushing this? Um, so I agree with you. It's just, and you know, I think I'm, I made the first, mis- not mistake, but the first kind of like reframe I needed to do when I started, because knitting and crocheting were my hobbies. They were the things that I did to meditate and to just, I enjoyed, I just enjoyed them so much. And I enjoyed wearing the things I made and I enjoyed giving the things away that I made, making things as gifts. Um, I love the gift economy. It's just, it makes you makes me feel so good to give someone something I've made and to see that they wear it and enjoy it. Um, you know, that taps into this other way of being. Like that's the thing about art and creativity. They show us other ways to be. It's like, you don't have to, you know, buy a scarf. You can knit a scarf. Like again, this idea of like empowering us to rewire our connections is something that art is so good at. 
Um, so, and, and then I would say the first reframing was taking a hobby and going professional with it. I would just say, watch out for that. And then the other thing is turning your and hobby, you know. turning your hobby into a source of like competition or perfectionism, like watch out for that too. I've done both of those things. And I've done the third thing that you were describing, which is for a long time, sort of, um, you know, basically after I had a child, I just didn't feel like I had any time for hobbies. I just couldn't figure out how to make that time for myself. Um, but I think especially as a parent, it's really helpful to have things that you do that are just for you, that aren't meant to like contribute meaningfully to family life so directly, because obviously it is going to contribute to family life indirectly if everyone's happy, right? So if you're doing a hobby and that's relaxing and it's pleasurable, and I love hobbies that are also social, um, if it feeds these other parts of you, then you're going to be, um, you know, more centered, which is better for everyone in a family and particularly for, for a child. Um, but I agree with you. It's really, it can be really hard to find the time. I think, again, it's helpful to find community when you have other people that you're making plans with to do something together that can help you commit to your goal of, of actually, you know, having a hobby and, and doing it and keeping up with it. I appreciate you calling out those kind of warning signs of when like a hobby, <laughs> where, where we can kind of take the joy out of our hobbies and creative expression. Like for me, I've had years ago, people say like, you know, Wade, the food that you make looks so good. What if I paid you to like deliver food service? And I was like, oh, interesting. And I hear these chirps from other people and you know, one of the things in the self-development world is like, pay attention, pay attention to the, the lessons that you're hearing from, you know, your community and, and the people. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I should pay attention. Like people are wanting my cooking and like that feels really joyful. But I had to sit with it and realize if I started to do that as a career, that would suck the living life out of me. Like that would not, I don't think I would want to cook and use that as an opportunity for creative expression and, and self-love and love for others. Um, I think that's so insightful. When viewing art, you said something really beautiful about art is liberating and it offers an opportunity for self-discovery when we really listen to those like deeper quiet places. I'm curious, like, are there any prompts or mindsets that you would welcome us to walk into a museum or a gallery with that helps us kind of tap into that ability to be like open for that self-discovery? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think one prompt could be if, if people out there like me respond to color is to really go through an exhibition thinking specifically about color. What colors are you drawn to? What color combinations are you drawn to? Why do you think those are pleasing or what do they make you feel when it does feel pleasing? What is, what is that feeling even when there's a particular, sometimes I think about this very particular dark shade of green that the trees in Griffith Park take on before, right before sunset. So it's like, they're not black, but it, they're going to be black when the sun sets in like another few minutes. But right now they're really, really dark green and how gorgeous I think that color is. 
So, you know, you don't even have to do this in a museum. You can do this walking around. You know, I do this sometimes in LA when I'm driving around LA and the, you know, in LA is like such an interesting um, city because, you know, you have so many different kinds of architecture like all right next to each other and uh, such interesting graphic design like all right next to each other. There's just no uniformity at all. And when I first moved here, I remember just thinking how beautiful it all was, like all just this like mix, incredible mix next to each other. Um, it was really, uh, and like, and so the question too for me was, well, why is that pleasurable to look at? Some of it is the color. Like I love that bright red sign over the yellow building or some of it is it's just foreign to me coming from the east coast living lived on the east coast for so long where there was just more uniformity um in architecture yeah like why do we find certain things pleasurable when what does it mean what does that feeling feel like and it, there is again thinking thinking about art uh, and creativity as connection i think there's some connected feeling we feel when we say look at a painting that has these beautiful blues in it and it makes us feel something strong inside we feel connected to that piece of artwork because it's unlocked something inside of us that is usually dormant or that is surprising so I would say prompt could be I'm going to go look at colors I'm going to notice when I see a color or color combinations that I like and then I'm going to think about why do I like them what do I feel what does this make me feel how do I feel connected to this piece of art through the color? One of the things I just want to follow up on around that is that question around searching for what's pleasurable. Is there a link in your mind to following what's pleasurable to creative energy? I think there can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that people, I think that's one, one aspect of creativity and one you know, art is, is sort of one facet of creativity. So that's something that I think historically, especially in Western culture, we've placed a lot of value on things we find beautiful in art and making art that's beautiful and pleasing. I don't think that's the only reason for art. I think, you know, some people look to art for healing. I think Warhol, Andy Warhol said, art is whatever you can get away with. You know, Duchamp made a toilet. I mean, there's a lot of different Again, like art can help us rewire the way we see the world. So there's like all different reasons to make it and look at it and experience it. But pleasure is one. And I think about that with hobbies too, right? Like hobbies are something we do mostly for pleasure, you know, because they tap into some fun, happy experience that we have sometimes with others that's different than work or even play. Yeah, there's something there about, I feel like per, like hobbies allow us to just have that space for expression without, without rules, you know, going mm -hmm. back to like what you were saying about, you know, not holding kind of a hobby too tight, like it needing to be mm -hmm. something. And I, I think we, in most of our days, just have so many restrictions on how we express. And so to, I feel like even giving ourselves the freedom to be creative, whatever medium that is, is just that allowing of expression that so deeply wants to be shared with the world. Serena, thank you for being here. You're and welcome. offering your amazing insights and wisdom. Where can people learn more about you and stay connected? I am Film Quilts on Instagram. And my website is sabrinag.com. Thank you. 
Thank you, Wade. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in City podcast. I welcome you to pause with me here and reflect on all that you've learned about in this episode around creativity. What's one insight or aha that you are excited to tell a friend about? For instance, maybe you're inspired on your next walk to pay attention to color and how color makes you feel. Or maybe you're craving more discipline when it comes to your creative endeavors and want to explore and create that structure and accountability for yourself. Whatever it is, no judgment, share it with a friend and let's inspire each other to tap into more creativity. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, join me on Instagram at OneWade and I'd love to hear what creative sparks are being ignited inside of you. Until next time, stay centered.